Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So we're privileged once again to have James Shore with us. I'm, I'm just fanboying like you wouldn't believe because I'm, I'm so pleased uh, to finally meet the, the person who wrote the, the handbook of uh, Squirrel's early Agile adoption. Uh, when I knew nothing, uh, I would go look up whatever the right chapter was and James would tell me what to do, which I was so grateful for. Hi, James again. Hi. Th thanks for coming back. Um, we, we were talking about uh, actually troubleshooting Agile. What a shocking idea. Um, and we were talking about all different ways that you suggest in, in this second edition that you've just come out with 15 years after the first edition of the book, um, that, that, that you have a whole section and a whole new ideas on how to troubleshoot uh, Agile problems. And we, we looked in depth at one last week. Um, I, I think we might want to grab a different one this week. Do you have a favorite, James? Or Jeffrey, did you want to jump in with one? I think you might have one, Jeffrey. I did. I, I wanted to get into something here about the delivering fluency. Oh, and, yeah, that would be great. And I, and I think so. This is going to be kind of, again, my gray beard, old school nature. Because for me, Agile originally was about extreme programming, XP, and very technical practices. And what I saw through the 2000s was the shift of what people meant by Agile. Because 2001, 2002, when people said they're doing Agile, they probably meant XP. By 2006, it started to be, they meant Scrum. Uh, and, um, and, and now when people say Agile, I'm often not, not sure what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> meaning so has departed. It's postmodern. We don't have any meaning anymore. And, and you mentioned this, uh, you talked about this Agile fluency model, and you brought up the delivering delivering fluency as uh, part of the technical, the, where the technical practices live. And I, and I really want to hear about that. And I especially want to hear about it, how you've seen this since we talked about things in the mid-2000s, because I always stuck with me. I remember you telling me about in, the, in working as a coach in that time period, when you would help teams transform that there was initially a lot of resistance to the, from the developers about changing their practice. And it stuck with me for all these all this time that about a third of the team would quit rather than change the way they work. <laughs> I don't know if you remember telling me that. Um, so I guess I want to find out, is that still true? And you know, how have the technical practices, what's the skills you see out there? Where, where do you see the lack today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I want to mention, because I don't think you mentioned in the intro, the book we're talking about is The Art of Agile Development. Um, oh, sorry. I was edition. just so excited about it. I, I assumed everybody knew. <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a copy in their pocket? Well, they really should. Indeed. Um, but I think one of the ways that the book is is unique in that is that we I do have a programming background. I am able to talk about code. There is code in the actual book. Um, I think this delivering zone of fluency is, is super important. Um, you mentioned Jeffrey that I told you that a third of the team would quit. I don't. I don't remember telling you that. And if I did, I've learned a lot since then. Um, <laughs> I think that was a failure of change management on my part, um, because you know, in any major change, you do have people. If you have enough people in the organization, you are going to have some people who are dissatisfied, and this is the last straw, and and they move on. But uh, it doesn't. It if it's the third of the team, then something has gone horribly wrong somewhere. Um, what, one of the things that I've learned to do in terms of change management is if I'm going to introduce a major change to a team, or in these days, I'm more often working with a department with many teams in it. Um, if I'm going to introduce a change to a bunch of teams, I'm going to, if it's a single team, I'm going to ask their permission first. If it's a bunch of teams, I'm still going to ask their permission. Uh, but some people are just still going to be unhappy no matter what, because you get enough people and there's sort of a bell curve of responses, right? Um, but I'm also going to do a lot of change management. I'm going to be, as as uh, Diana Larson said, 
uh, says, I'm going to provide support information and structure around the change. And um, I would say that the turnover rate is down in the one to 3% now, not, not a third. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That means there's a lot more. I think part of it is there's a, these ideas are a lot more socialized. Maybe the things that were extreme seem less extreme now. Could be. Um, I, you know, as I said last week, I think what people think is agile and what is actually agile are quite different. So uh, particularly in this delivering zone of fluency, some of the ideas are socialized. We we hear people talking about continuous integration, but they're talking about the tools, um, not to <laughs> knock against the, the genre that you helped create, <laughs> Jeffrey, but um, they talk about the tools, not the actual practice of continuous integration. Uh, they talk about DevOps, but they talk about, again, tools rather than the, the idea of developers and operations working together. They talk about testing, but do they do test-driven development and evolutionary design the way extreme programming uh, introduced? Mm, not so much. And then pairing or its sort of uh, its, its newer sibling uh, mob or ensemble programming, those aren't very widely spread either. So I, I think these are still fairly radical ideas, um, but it is possible to introduce them in a way that's not quite so uh, disruptive, I think. And what might be a prompt for introducing them? What would be a symptom that our listeners might observe that would mean they need to improve their delivery fluency? Uh, well, I would say the biggest one that I see is if they're, if a team is having a lot of trouble releasing, so this, the release cycle is really long, or if there's a lot of bugs, or once you get into production that you have a lot of production incidents, uh, those are probably the most common reasons I see. But another reason I see, which is more subtle is if you've got a lot of morale problems on your team, like if it's just not fun to be a developer in your, in your environment, um, that's another reason to maybe investigate these delivering zone fluencies, uh, proficiencies. And both of those, I think, are, are difficult to diagnose if you're in the situation. I certainly have had teams tell me things like, uh, yeah, you know, we only have five or six bugs every release. And uh, as a result, you know, we've slowed it down and we're now releasing every quarter and it's down to three or four. And, <laughs> and that's feeling a lot better. And, our, our, you know, people are feeling happier about that. Whereas, in fact, they're miserable and they don't know it, and their release practices are atrocious and they don't know it. So yeah. what, what would good look like? How, how would I know if I'm um, releasing poorly and, and my team's morale is low as a result? Well, I think for morale, you can look at turnover. Um, and, and people aren't always honest in the exit interviews, but a, a surprising number of people contact me because they're having they want to improve their developers' happiness in the organization. Mm. Um, or, or they just feel like they've got this sort of niggling sense that things could be better, but they don't know exactly how, so they ask me to come investigate. Yep. But another thing that I see is, is uh, there's this book called Accelerate, which is really a fantastic book. It talks about frequency of delivery. And you can we'll see- We'll link to Accelerate in the show notes. Go ahead. Yeah, I think a lot of people have heard about it now. And it, it really is a great book, especially for the senior leadership in your organization. I think they tend to really uh, find a lot to like about it. And what it says is that it, find a, it finds a correlation between the high-performance organizations and ones that release multiple times per day. Um, so- when I say a long release cycle, I'm talking about longer than that. Uh, mm -hmm. When I'm saying a lot of bugs, so like once I'm a day would be long. Long once a day would be okay. It'd be medium. Um, once a week, that's that's long. But for a lot of folks, uh, you know, they they think a quarter is uh, is okay. 
But what, what happens when you have such a long release cycle is now, of course, you've got a lot of stuff to release. So there's a lot of risk. So you got to put a lot of effort into double checking it. Um, yeah, come on, James. We could we could never release uh, uh, that frequently. I mean, it takes us a week to test. We couldn't release multiple times a day. <laughs> exactly. So so yeah, and that's where these delivering delivering fluency, these delivering skills come in. Because if you want to release every day or multiple times per day, you've got to have an environment where you have a lot of confidence in the quality of your software. And some ways to do that are collaborative code ownership, uh, collective code ownership. Um, things like pair programming to decrease the uh, to, to share knowledge and to decrease the incidence of casual errors uh, and test driven development to make sure that programmers uh, to help programmers make sure that what they're doing is what they intended to do and to make it easy for them to refactor their code so that um, they can improve the quality of the design and, and also just this this uh, attitude that I see in these delivering zone fluent these fluent delivering teams is that bugs are things that happen to other people. You know, if we get a bug, that's that's a surprise. And we're gonna look at that and think about it deeply, not just assume, oh yeah, that's the way software is, which is what I see in a lot of teams without that level of fluency. And, and the surprising thing, as I was noting, is that so many teams are unaware that that level of fluency is possible. Yeah, It's as if we were um, speaking in caveman, ugh, ugh, troubleshoot, agile, good idea, <laughs> let's do. And, and we had no idea that it was possible to speak with um, fluency and, and metaphor and simile and, and, and so on. So uh, I often find, I don't know if you find the same, that teams just have no clue that that's possible. They've never seen it. How would they know? Exactly. And that's I, honestly, that was one of the motivations for me writing this book back in 2007 and for updating it now is especially now we see so many people who think they know what Agile is, but have never seen it really done well and don't know how amazing it can be to be in a team that is this competent. Um, it's it's so much fun. It's uh, it's really a great experience. And I want everybody to have that experience. You know, that, that I think that's a, a great point and might be a, a good kind of outro because I think maybe if we look at this as kind of the troubleshooting guide, if you're not having fun, if you're, if you're not thinking like this is, a, this is an awesome team and we do great stuff uh, and, uh, you know, th th we're, we're just we're getting all kinds of things done, maybe that's the, the ultimate touchstone that maybe there's something to, to look for in this book. What do you think about that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, if, you know, there, I've always said that there's no point in being agile for the sake of agile, but you, instead you want to go into it saying, this is what agile can get us. And this is what's worth putting into it to get those results, because it does take real investment from both the organization and the team members. And one of, and the reason to do that in my mind is that it gives you better business success it gives you better technical success and also more personal success. It's just a better, more enjoyable way to work. And uh, if those reasons are compelling, then yeah, uh, then it's worth investing the time and effort needed to make it happen. And if you want to invest, then we would certainly recommend the book I've been uh, carrying around and, and using as my Bible for, for 15 years, which is The Art of Agile Development. Uh, James, it'll be in our, uh, in our show notes and so on, but where can listeners uh, get a hold of it? 
Uh, it's available wherever books are sold, and you can go to my website, which is jameshore.com. If you go to jameshore.com slash s slash aoad2 for Art of Agile Development Tool 2, you'll find a table of contents, lots of excerpts from the book, bonus material. There's a book club I do every week. Uh, there's a Discord where we're having amazing conversations, lots of stuff. So um, if you're not if you're not convinced, that's a good place to check out for uh, to learn more and to find additional material. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, James, for joining us. Listeners, if you are not having fun in your team, please read James's book. You can also get in touch with us and ask us questions for a future edition of, of Troubleshooting Agile. You would do that at agileconversations.com. You'll find our Twitter and our email and free videos and all kinds of fun stuff there. So uh, very happy to hear from you, including also if you're opposed to fun. So if you're an uh, <laughs> opponent of fun, we'd like to hear from you. So, uh, you know, teams shouldn't have fun. That's a bad idea. We'd, we'd, we'd like to discuss that with you. And uh, of course, you can also just come back next week when we'll have another edition of Troubleshooting Agile uh, with uh, another fascinating topic. Excellent. Thanks, uh, Jeffrey and James. Thanks. Thank you so much. much.